What is it about this game with Washington that just feels, you know, a, a little bit different than all the other ones? That and some game preview stuff coming up. And, uh, oh, by the way, Rob Mosley's here. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making it your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Today's episode is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss this week's matchup between the Ducks and the Huskies right here on Sling. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. And yes, they do have the Pac-12 Network. And I am absolutely floored to be joined here on the show by the man who we all tweet at when the Play calling is no good for Oregon football. I, I I believe, Rob, according to hundreds, maybe thousands of Duck fans, that's got to be your official title. Rob Mosley, of course, longtime reporter for the Ducks. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a shoulder to cry on sometimes for sure. Luckily, there hasn't been a whole lot of that this season, so that's been fun. It's this fun for me, too. I listen to the Locked On Penguins podcast uh, most days of the week, too. So the format's... Uh, very familiar to me, and uh, that's that's pretty fun too. So thanks for having me on. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we we love to have that. Love to have a bunch of support here at uh, at the network. But I, I want to ask you about this this rivalry with Washington, and it is one that you can call a rivalry. I think relates to the Huskies and and the Beavs. Anything else is just kind of a a good matchup. But those two teams, Washington, Oregon State. I think from a rivalry perspective are, are different. They're, they're unique. They have a different feel. What is it about this, this, this interstate rivalry that is just a, a little bit, a little bit different. Like you've been covering this for a long time. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, the, the, the Oregon's history with those two teams is different. And I think that reflects the way the character of, of the two rivalries is different. You know, Oregon and Oregon state for a long time, kind of together were have nots uh, on, on the Pacific coast and the various uh, various formulations of the, of the conferences and leagues they've been in together. Uh, and so a lot of years, you know, you had a lot, a lot of time where uh, the matchup between Oregon and Oregon state was kind of that that's how your success or failure of your season was decided. Um, and, and, and so a lot of weight went into that with Oregon and Washington, it was, it was much different for a lot of years. Um, you know, uh, Washington was was kind of the, the big bully on the block in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, Oregon was a program aspiring to get to that point. And obviously, um, you know, you can kind of point to Kenny Wheaton in the 1994 game, uh, the tables turning um, and then, you know, have turned really significantly, obviously, in the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, kind of with a couple of notable exceptions, including that 2016 game that was so miserable for Oregon at home that I think. Uh, you know, for a younger generation of fans that might otherwise be wondering, you know, why does Oregon dislike Washington so much uh, when you get it put on you that hard uh, at home uh, and have a finger literally pointed in your face while it's happening, uh, that, you know, that, that the new generation can get a sense for, uh, for why the old generation feels the way it does. Yeah, it's interesting for me because I've always felt that, but my mom is a Husky. My dad, brother, and I are all Duck fans. There have been some awkward Saturdays in my house <laughs> growing up, Rob, let me tell you. A lot of, lot of days where we just don't talk to mom for a little while and we don't 
we don't bring it up. That didn't always go the, the other way when the shoe was on the other foot, but that's perhaps a, a, a discussion <laughs> for another day. But I also have family up in the Seattle area who, who are Husky fans, so I, I've gotten that that sense of it. And I liked what you touched on about how Oregon and Oregon State were both kind of those those programs that were small. They were out there. The West Coast is geographically isolated compared to the historical powers of college football, except for USC. And so I think there is at some level, there, there's there's plenty of animosity between the Ducks and the Beavs, of, of course. But I do feel like it's different with Washington because you don't have that underlying level of respect. Like a lot of my close personal friends, I have a number of them from my childhood who are Beaver fans. And so there is kind of that underlying level of like, I like it. It's cool when bees get to the NFL and, you know, watching guys like Brandon cooks have a lot of success or Johnny Hecker. Like there is that at some level. And then game day comes around for, for the game formerly known as, as the civil war. And it's, you know, then, then the gloves, the gloves are off, but with Washington just kind of feels like the, the gloves are kind of off all the time. Right. Yeah. I think with Oregon state, it's sort of like a sibling rivalry where, when you're outside of the house, you kind of feel like you have a lot in common and it's, and it's you guys against the world. Kind of like you were talking about being geographically isolated, you know, for a long time, kind of um, financially didn't have the same resources as some other schools. Obviously that's changed for Oregon a lot uh, in the last 20, 25 years, but you know, had a lot in common. So, you know, when you were at home, you, you went to war and you punched each other in the face and, um, and you know, had that sibling rivalry, but then, uh, you know, kind of in the big picture, you, you, you were grouped together and you kind of understood that and you got why. Washington was, you know, you go to school and 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 run into the school bully uh, and they just pick on you and pick on you and pick on you. And then finally <laughs> yeah. in 1994, you know, as tends to be the case, when you punch a bully back in the nose, sometimes uh, the tables get turned pretty quick. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a just a completely different flavor there. You touched earlier on how the Ducks have had uh, not too many moments where fans need to come to your Twitter mentions to metaphorically cry on them, except for, of course, that Georgia game, which we need not mention uh, too much here on the show. Because The good news is it feels like a long time ago at this point. It it, it does. That's exactly what I was going to say. It it really feels like a lifetime ago, not just that college football just began this season, but the way the Ducks have played. And, you know, my takeaway from that Georgia game was, all right, that was bad. It could not have been any worse. But I did think, okay, I I think the offense is going to be able to move the ball. Like Bo Nix was upright. They ran the football. That's played itself out. I didn't even think the offense would be at at this level, Rob. 40-plus in eight straight. We'll we'll get into whether or not a little bit later Washington's defense is is up to the standard to to be able to hold the Ducks under 40 points for the first time since that, that Georgia game when they didn't manage a touchdown. But have you been surprised at all, not just that Oregon has won eight in a row, but how they've won eight in a row? There really haven't been any nail biters. It's just been, for the most part, the opposite of last year. Comfortable win after comfortable win. Yeah, I don't know if surprised um, is the word I'd use simply because, you know, there were so many unknowns coming into this season. Um, You know, with the new coaching staff, with the new quarterback, you know, other transfers at other, other spots. Um, and you know, you sort of felt like, all right, the the stars were going to be aligned against you in the first game. And that certainly proved to be true. Um, you know, hoped it didn't work out that way, but you know, going into the season kind of set up that that was going to be, that was going to be a challenge, a tough challenge to overcome. And then week two against Eastern Washington felt like kind of the other way, you know, the stars were probably going to be aligned on your side. And unless something, something goofy happened, you'd probably be okay in that one. So 
you know, the BYU game kind of all along set up as kind of the first, you know, the true illustration of kind of what this team was going to be like and, and where this season might, might go. Um, and so based on that performance, I think, you know, you felt like, oh, okay, maybe that's who these Ducks are. And I think if you look back at that game, that's probably borne out to be true that, you know, who the Ducks showed themselves to be in that game is kind of who they've been since. Um, and, and that's almost universally a positive reflection. I mean, I, I, I just think the way the offense has moved the ball, creating explosive plays, um, you know, avoiding negative plays in terms of turnovers and, and, and sacks uh, for the most part, um, you know, defensively, you know, for the most part, trying to keep the top on things. Obviously there was an, you know, a, a significant exception uh, in the Colorado game, but that's the only time Colorado scored a touchdown. So, um, you know, if you can avoid major breakdowns there and, and force a couple turnovers, that's what they've been doing. And I, But I just think, too, kind of the, the – the, again, I don't want to say I was surprised by this because, again, it was just an unknown. But the, the week-over-week improvement, you know, when Dan Landing and his staff and the players have identified an area they want to get better, you know, their ability to do that week-over-week uh, week has just really, really been impressive. And, you know, I think there's still a couple areas, you know, a couple outliers there. You look at, you know – consistency in the red zone you know you're still seeing you know probably one or two possessions a game where they're not executing at the level they want to when they get offensively into the red zone and then um you know third down defense uh still you know an area where they want to find some consistency too but other than those two areas um there's been so many other things where you know you heard landing i mean you literally heard him verbalize hey that's an area we want to get better this week and then it happens cleaning up penalties creating more explosive plays tackling better after the first game and all that. So um, that's, uh, again, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say surprised, but certainly impressed. Yeah. Don't forget the punting too. He was uh, certainly not yeah, impressed with, no with, with, with the punting no on, on Saturday though. in in a perfect world, you don't do too much of that in Oregon. Yeah, it really and, hasn't. And, and I, I and, I, and I think that's part of it is that they, right. the punters haven't gotten any reps, <laughs> right? You know, the offense is getting into the red zone a lot. And so you're, you know, you're seeing enough trips that, yeah, there's, when there's inconsistencies there, it stands out. You know, defense is, you know, get, getting itself in a position to defend a lot of third downs. And so when there's breakdowns, it stands out. The punters hasn't, hasn't been on the field as much, which, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, I think, obviously, I have a lot of respect for those guys. They work just as hard as anybody else, and they're trying to get better. Um, that said, if, you know, if, if, if your biggest problem is your punter, uh, things are probably going okay. Yeah, and things have been going okay. But where can Oregon still improve? We'll talk about that after I talk to you all about Simply Safe. If you thought about securing your home with home security, but you've been putting it off, you'll want to listen up. Right now, Locked On Ducks listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report, third year in a row. Not too shabby. In an emergency 24 7 professional monitoring agency, Use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real, so you can get the priority police response. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system that I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/lockedoncollege. That is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. You won't even get a bigger one for Christmas. Simplysafe.com/lockedoncollege. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 
So, Rob, you're at practice every week, and I, I love watching your, your quack minutes with with Joey Mack and and getting the, the insight that you've got. But that's one of the reasons that, that I was thrilled to get you here on the show is what have you seen over the last couple of weeks at practice with, with regards to the areas that, that I and others have talked about on, on shows like this one as areas for growth, whether it's getting pressure, third down defense, red zone execution? How do those things play out amongst the coaching staff and the players when, when they're not on game day? Uh, it's always a really delicate balance, I think, as, as a coach, you know, because you want to emphasize things, but you don't want to take time away from any other elements of preparation, too. Um, you know, you don't want to say, hey, we need to get better in the red zone. So we're just going to do like nothing but but red zone plays, you know. So it's not like, you know, I don't think most folks would watch, you know, a Wednesday practice one week, which was when there is a lot of red area stuff, a lot of third down stuff. I mean, that's those are usually like some of the first words out of Dan Lanning's mouth when he meets the media each Wednesday. You know, Wednesday, you know, third down day, red area day. Um he says red area, so I've started to sort of pick up on that. Although red zone obviously still pops out sometimes too. But, he also um, says he also says program. Have you adapted the new the he new does. pronunciation of program? That I haven't picked up on as much. At least <laughs> spoken word. When I type it, sometimes it comes out that way for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm not sure that you'd you know a layman and certainly you know certainly I would count myself as that. You know, would watch a Wednesday practice one week and then the next week and say, oh yeah, very clearly they're devoting more time and attention because I think again you you know. You don't want to overemphasize one thing and then risk letting something else slip too. Um, and I think that's part of what makes what they've been doing the week, these week over weeks improvements so impressive is that, the, you know, they, they, they find ways to make kind of subtle tweaks, um, emphasize things a little bit more. Um, you know, w- w- one, you know, massively critical element to game weeks is meetings. And I'm not in any of those. So I don't know what, uh, you know, I don't know how they're addressing things, anything like that, but uh, in, in those formats. But um, uh, yeah, they're just finding ways to address those things and, and improve on them. Uh, and, and then it shows up on Saturdays. One area that, that continues to be, and they, they showed a lot of growth, I think, against Cal, aided perhaps by the Bears' struggling offensive line this year, but it was kind of back in, in a bad way against Colorado. Now, the defense did well to hold the buffs to just 10 points, which is right about where I thought they'd be, right about where I wanted them to be. Like, you look up and you, you can nitpick, you know, this thing or that thing, but at the end of the day, 49 to 10 is how that game against Colorado is, is supposed to look. And I think it's really important to to remember that because it's easy to lose sight when you are trying to get to that conference championship, potentially college football playoff level, you have to be all the way up here. And I think one of those areas is is third down defense where Oregon has just not been, I'm sure where the coaching staff would, would like to be also you calling yourself a layman is the uh, humblest of takes on your, your football knowledge in, in my view, because you have been doing this a lot longer than, than I have or, or many others, but in your time covering the team this year and, and then watching the games on Saturdays, what do you feel like is missing on, on third down? That's a hard, that's a hard question to answer. Cause I'm not a big, I'm not a great X and O guy, you know, so I, it's not like I can say, Oh, they're running this type of coverage and maybe another type of coverage against the routes they're seeing. Um, you know, I think if you, if you look at, you know, you mentioned the Cal game and then the Colorado game, um, you know, and let's let, let's not overlook the fact that DJ Johnson was available for the Cal game and was very Good disruptive, uh, and then was not available, did not make the trip for the Colorado game, and and so I think you know your ability to pressure the quarterback and get after the quarterback on third down 
uh, is a, you know is going to be a critical part of, of of success on third down. And so not having your top pass rusher in DJ Johnson, no doubt, was a factor there. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'd be at the risk of speaking out of turn if I said too much more, just because again, I'm not a great X and O guy. I, I don't want to claim like I understand exactly what. Um, you know, Landing and, and Lupoy and Powell and those guys are trying to do on third down that, that maybe is working or not working. Um, you know, it, but it has been up and down. It's, it remains a point of emphasis. So it's clearly something they feel like they can get better at. No doubt about it. Besides the third down defense, has there been anything uh, consistently over the last few weeks that, that you feel might be an emphasis at, at practice over the course of this week going into the Washington game? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think you and I and everybody else can look at the Husky statistics this season and the way they've been throwing the ball, uh, and, and, and the way, you know, again, Oregon has, gives up that explosion play for the only touchdown against Colorado. Um, you know, we saw Cal have a little bit of success throwing deep, uh, and, and, you know, so and then you look at, you know, the Huskies numbers on the season and say, okay, that's going to be a great test in this game is, um, you know, Oregon has obviously been scoring a lot of points. Um, and, 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 you know, again, eight eight games in a row with forty or more—that's the longest active streak in the country. It's only the twenty-first time in college football history that that's that's happened. Um, you know, but but you know, is, is this going to be a shootout? Is is Washington going to be able to? You know, assuming Oregon can can maintain that level of, of offensive production, which will be a challenge in its, of itself. Um, you know, how does how does Oregon kind of defend that Washington passing game? I mean, I think any anybody can look at the numbers and say that's going to be an X factor to watch this weekend. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting chess match because it's it's not what it was a week ago for Washington, where it's kind of best on best Huskies pass game against that Beaver secondary, which is really, really good. If you haven't watched them, they, they were not aided by their pass rush whatsoever. And, and I think that'll play into the game as we'll get to here in in just a moment. So let, let's switch over to that, that Washington game, Rob, because I think Washington presents a unique challenge from the other Pac-12 opponents compared to you know the teams that Oregon has beaten so far. They've played some good offenses, right? UCLA is a really good offense. Arizona is a good offense. And Washington State looked like they're, they're a little more up and down, but Cam Ward on that day was really, really good. Kind of seemed like they pulled out all the stops and Oregon escaped for what's really been their only close game uh, during, during this eight-game winning streak. But Washington has got so many different receivers that are good. You've got a Dunze, you've got Polk, you've got McMillan. They'll use the tight end every now and then, but I've been really, really impressed with and surprised by Michael Penks. Cause I watched him against, or I watched him when he played at Indiana and I thought he's, he's all right. He's serviceable. He's solid. But in this, in this Huskies offense with those weapons, which are probably better than any that he had while he was at Indiana, he, he is thriving. And if Oregon cannot get pressure on him, there's a good chance he could pick the ducks apart. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different kind of challenge than like the UCLA game. As you have a, as you you know as you pointed out, they're so run heavy. Um, again, that's another quarterback that can move around and has a lot of experience and can throw the ball. But they're you know they're just so run heavy. You figure that defensively for Oregon, this will be a different kind of a different kind of attack, different kind of packages you're preparing because these guys just throw the heck out of it. So. Um, yeah, you know, when, when you're talking about an Oregon secondary that lost Ron McKinley, that lost Mikhail Wright, um, is not going to have Jamal Hill for the first half, presumably because of his, his targeting penalty. Um, you know, I think Christian Gonzalez obviously coming off a really big game and Triquez Bridges, I think the last month has really done a good job of kind of being invisible after not, being, not being as invisible early in the season. Um, 
but it's just a different kind of challenge. I mean, it's just, just this different level of challenge. So, um, you know, you sure, you'd sure like to see a guy like Brian Addison continue to make a bunch of big plays there on the back end. Um, you'd sure like to see the Ducks do a little bit better job of kind of keeping the top on it and not, not giving up big plays like, you know, like, like Colorado did. Again, Cal did a couple weeks earlier. Um, but obviously that challenge gets even tougher against what looks like, as you say, I think, you know, an, an e- even more talented group uh, in this UW passing game. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of really great receivers. There are other tricky components to this Washington team. The Ducks favored by double digits at home, which I, I think is about right, but that doesn't mean they can overlook the Huskies. We'll talk about why after we pause the pod for just a second. We're paused? Okay, good, great, because you got to try this. I'm talking about Built Bar's new reimagined flavors. Cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, coconut brownie topper. They've got everything you could possibly want. Holiday season is coming up. Some of you think we're already there and are playing Christmas music. I will push back on that mildly, though I did see Elf on TV the other night, and that did uh, get the Christmas juices pumping, to be sure. White chocolate peppermint granola, maybe you want to get Christmas season started here in November. No matter what, go check out Built Bar. You get 15% off your order by using the code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. That is 15% off by using the promo code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. So, Rob, this this Washington offense is how they have won games for the most part. But I've been impressed. They've scored 28 and 24 points the last two weeks, 24 against the Bees and 28 against Cal, and they've been able to win. Do you feel at all that Washington's defense is is a little overlooked? I think they've had trouble on the back end at times this year. But I watch that front four, and I think those look like a lot of really good players. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, those are good players. I think both teams probably feel like they're going to face a tougher offense this week than they faced the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I just, I just think, you know, Oregon State, man, you know, if they, if they had uh, more consistent production at quarterback, you know, that would, that would really be, a, that really be a well-rounded that'd be a nine, offense. Ten, that'd be a 9-10 win yeah. team. Really impressive group. And unfortunately, you know, for them, they haven't been getting that kind of consistency at that position. And, um, you know, again, for, for Oregon, you know, Cal and Colorado, you know, Colorado's obviously in a tough spot right now, kind of rebuilding, um, you know, Cal just stylistically a little more, you know, defensive oriented. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, just as Washington's going to be a different level of challenge, uh, for Oregon's defense this week, probably fair to say Oregon's offense with the way the Ducks have been playing, about as well as anybody in the country the last few weeks. Uh, you know, just a, a different challenge for whoever they'd be facing. And, uh, I mean, I, mean, I think Washington but they're being honest, probably would include that as well. But, um, you know, you just look at the, how dynamic this Oregon offense has been, how varied it's been, um, you know, obviously how much fun uh, they had last week with some of the, some of the guys they got involved, some, you know, in some unusual ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just continue to think that if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, pulling the film out on, on what Kenny Dillingham's doing offensively right now has got to be, has got to feel daunting just because he's, you know, he's getting so many different people involved in so many different ways um, and, and still executing at a high level. I mean, I think as a, as a coach, I think, you know, it's probably an oversimplification, but you're kind of always fighting this war between, you know, how much do we want to do a few things really, really well? And how much do we want to do a lot of things? Okay. You know, and each of those is a different kind of challenge for the defense and uh, Oregon right now feels like they're doing a lot of things really, really well. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. So I think, uh, you know, for any defense the Ducks are facing right now, that's that's going to be that's going to be a tough task. 
One advantage that I see for Oregon's offense is the strength of that Huskies defense is definitely their front four, and they'll present some sort of challenge for this Oregon offensive line, but I have the utmost faith in that unit, bar none. I I watched Bo Nix not get sacked against Georgia. I watched him run the ball for four and a half yards of carry against the Bulldogs. I watched Bo Nix be sacked, what is it, once? Was he sacked against Colorado? I don't think he was. So once once in nine games. That's... Un, unheard of. So I, I have a lot of faith there, and I think that works out favorably for the Ducks. But I want to switch to Oregon's defense here because I know you've only got a, a few minutes left. Jamal Hill out for the first half creates an interesting kind of chess piece, this player in, th- this player out. How do you think the Ducks handle him not being there for the first half of Saturday? Well, I think the good news is you feel like there were like, you know, four guys who, uh, you know, are pretty proven at this point for three safety spots, you know, between Bennett Williams, Brian Addison, Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill, kind of who you could move guys around and however you however you wanted to make, you know, that that, that group fit best. I think Bennett Williams has been kind of a constant, you know, you kind of figured he was going to be in there. And then matchup wise, you know, did it make sense to have him at nickel with Brian and Steve at safety to make more sense to have Bennett at safety with Jamal at nickel and somebody else in the safety spot. Um, you know, if you take Jamal out of that equation, you still have three guys for three spots. So, you know, obviously you're, um, you know, at, from an experience depth point of view, you know, that that's, that's going to be, your depth's going to be impacted for that first half. Um, but, you know, then, you, I mean, you always just have to look at that, too, as a chance. Okay, is there another guy down there who, if he gets a chance, can, can prove himself? You know, and a guy like J.J. Greenfield is a, is, a, is a ball hawk in practice, you know, and has been, you know, for, for as long as, as is, he's been here. So, um, you know, if he's a guy who um, enters the two deep and, and gets in there for some reps, you know, I think he'd be eager to see how he can handle things. Now, is this a – is this the offense you want to be breaking in a new face against in the secondary? Maybe not, but these <laughs> are the circumstances not. as they present themselves as they present themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll be interested too, to see kind of how, um, you know, from a person, a personnel standpoint, you know, what, what they see as the best way to, uh, to make up for the absence of Jamal Hill. Last thing uh, for you, Rob, and, and again, appreciate you coming on on the show. And Duck fans, I, I know you all are, are appreciative of that as well. So I'll just extend their thanks to you through me here, even though that hasn't quite happened yet. But I know it'll it'll happen because Duck fans are, of course, the best. But going into this game uh, against Washington, Rob, what do you feel most confident about with with Oregon? They, they have done a lot of things well week in and week out. I continue to be just amazed when you go to the box score and you see all the guys who made a catch, it's like 10 to 12 every single week. And, and there's no, I mean, Troy Franklin's a top target, but he doesn't have to be for the offense to thrive. You know, I've compared it to the Dylan Mitchell teams where it felt like on third down, Justin Herbert was going to Dylan Mitchell every time. And if Dylan Mitchell wasn't there, then nobody was going to to get the ball mo- most of the time. But that, that's what gives me the most confidence in Oregon's offense is they've just been so multiple and smart and clever and, and explosive. But what, what gives you, uh, if you have, I assume you have some level of confidence against the Ducks going into this showdown with, with the Huskies. What, what's the number one thing that stands out? Yeah, I think, again, you know, when you have an offense that's doing a lot of things all at seemingly a pretty high level, that makes it pretty tough to prepare for. Um, and so kudos to Kenny Dillingham, obviously, for, um, you know, 
devising a scheme that kind of fits all the different pieces he has to work with and finding ways to get different guys involved in different ways, you know, um, you know, Sean dollars and that two back set. Um, I love it. You know, I think it's just one example of saying, okay, here's a guy who can be help, uh, of help to us. Let's find a way or kind of the, the 14 J jumbo formation again. Hey, we got a lot of tight ends. You know, you're probably not going to play um, three or four of them all the time, but certainly there are ways you can take advantage of that depth. And we've seen that. Um, but the bottom line is unless you have a quarterback that can execute all that and get the offense uh, on the same page and get everybody lined up and, and obviously, uh, Oh, just lost my lights. Um, obviously, uh, you know, some of the, some of the false starts and, and some of those issues continue to crop up and that's, that's, that's obviously not a point of pride. Um, but for the most part, I think this offense is executed at a really high level doing a lot of different things. And so that's a credit to Kenny Dillingham, but it's also a credit to Bo Nix. You know, I, I, I had watched him play exactly one game his career before he got here. Um, obviously the opener in 2019. Um, but I also knew kind of generally speaking what his reputation was and, and kind of wondered, okay, what kind of guy was Oregon getting? And just the command, the presence, the maturity, the leadership that he's shown since he got here is just so impressive and such a vital component to the way things have been going. Um, obviously, the numbers he's putting up and how explosive and dynamic the offense is with him on the field uh, is, is huge, is hugely impressive, but also just the presence he's been um, the way he's been able to step in as a leader um, and, and prove himself and earn, earn that, earn that status with this team. Um, it's just, it's, it's hugely important in getting this team in the position it's in to, to kind of control their fate when it comes to the PAC 12 race and, and even try to stay in that that playoff discussion. So, you know, massive kudos to Bo Nix. I just think, um, you know, he is just uh, whatever ever anyone's expectations was were for him here. Um, I would assume he's exceeded those for for pretty much anyone, no matter how high high they were. So, you know, kudos to him. It, it sure has been fun to watch. I was hoping he could be a low to mid 60s completion percentage guy, push the ball down the field better. And here he is over 70 percent on the season. It was 20 to 24 and the winds were at what, 30 miles an hour. It was crazy. Yeah, it was it was was the windiest game. Dan Lanning said he's ever coached in. Rob Mosley is at Duck Football on Twitter. We very much appreciate him taking the time. Rob, you are the man. Appreciate all the work you do covering the Ducks for all of these years and looking forward to the game on Saturday. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you. A pleasure to do what I do. It uh, sure beats having a real job, that's for sure. So, uh, <laughs> th- thanks to everybody who follows along and and, and cheers. And uh, hope to see Austin Pack the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it absolutely should be. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.